The following program is furnished by Startup Nation Media Group. Welcome to this edition of Startup Nation Radio. This is our Ask the Expert show in partnership with SCORE. Got our good friend Armando Ojeda on with us to co-host. Armando, good to have you back on. Hello, Jeff. Nice to be back and nice to hear from you. Well, it's great to have you on. You know, we're so thrilled about our association with SCORE and with you. The amazing thing about SCORE, I still can't believe it, but it's true, folks. They provide these great, experienced experts in the field that you can tap and use as coaches, mentors to guide you through all of the common or even unique challenges that business owners face. It's amazing to think that it's all free. Oh, yes, it is. And so I also want to mention that we also offer free workshops and that we also have free tools and templates and everything else that business owners need when they are getting ready to change their side hustle to a legitimate business or they're actually in business and don't have access to all of the tools that they need. And again, as you keep saying, this is all free to aspiring entrepreneurs and existing business owners. You know, and it's paradoxical, but usually you hear, you know, you get what you pay for. In this case, tremendously high value with these people that have had success in their own lives and in their own careers, and you get access to them and it's free. So it's not like it's free and it's, you know, valueless to the contrary. It's really a high value opportunity. You know, I think that coaching and mentoring, entrepreneurship can be such a lonely thing. And when you're hit with a challenge, you think, oh my God, why did this happen to me? Well, the fact is it's probably happened to everybody that's been in business and, you know, or a good percentage of them. And so what you're experiencing, what you're feeling may not be unique. And to have someone to talk to about it and have them simply say to start with, hey, look, I've been through that too. Here's how you work your way out of that. You know, it's just a great thing to have, Armando. It absolutely is. And, you know, the other thing that I think is important to mention here is that all of these score people, all 12,000 of us in the network, want to give back to the community. Mm -hmm. We have all made all of the mistakes. We understand what's going on. And so we want to help other entrepreneurs mitigate their risk to really help them avoid the mistakes that sometimes we ourselves have made. At least I'll vote myself into that. But, you know, we really care about the community. We care about entrepreneurship. We care about small businesses because we recognize that they are irreplaceable assets in a community. So we do not want them to fail. We want everybody to thrive as a small business owner. That's our aim. I'm glad you mentioned what the motivation is because some people might wonder, so why do these people do this? Well, they really do want to give back. And I'm glad you made that point. And this is SCORE, just like the word as we know it, SCORE, S-C-O-R-E. Tell us again what that stands for, Armando. Well, um, we actually go by SCORE Association, but when we first started back in 1964, it was called the Service Corps of Retired Executives. Mm -hmm. And so because we have so many people who are now in the workplace, we don't have as many retired people because we want to remain relevant. We want people with current skills, especially in technology. So what I call us is the Service Corps of Remarkable Executives. Beautiful. And speaking of remarkable, what a perfect lead-in to our guest, Armando. <laughs> we've, we've got Angela Barbash on with us. Please, Armando, you decided to bring Angela onto the show. As our expert today, you introduce Angela for us and tell us why you thought she'd be an important guest for us to have as our featured expert. Well, I am pleased, delighted, and privileged to introduce Angela Barbash. Angela is the chief executive officer for a company called Revalue Investing. And we have had Angela on one of our SCORE podcasts, and we found her to be an incredibly articulate person who talks about alternative ways of investing, alternative financing, very creative ideas and thoughts. 
And it's also about social investing. It's about communities investing in small businesses. So I'm pleased and delighted once again to introduce Angela Barbash. Angela, welcome. Yeah, welcome, Angela. Uh, thank you so much for having me. I'm glad to be back with you all and chatting with the small business folks and other folks in the ecosystem that are listening in. It's great. So Angela, why don't you tell us Revalue, Revalue Investing, what is your company and what do you do? Yes. Yeah, so I've been an investment advisor for 17 years. And uh, about eight years ago, myself and some other great folks came together to form Revalue. It is a registered investment advisory firm. So we provide financial planning and investment management and research and due diligence services for values-driven investors. And those can be folks that are wanting to invest in the public markets in ways that are aligned with their values, or they're wanting to invest in the private community markets. And we're particularly known for our work in helping non-accredited investors. So those are folks who have less than a million dollars in net worth which is about 90% of the public. And so we serve all ends of the socioeconomic spectrum and love the work that we do very much and are based in downtown Ypsilanti. That's great. Do you also do any funding of you know, startup companies or small businesses? Do you provide funding or, and or other services to that community as well, or is it to individuals largely? Yeah, that's a great question. We get asked a lot if we are often retained by companies to help them raise the money. And no, we are only paid by investors. So as fiduciaries, as investment advisors, we sit on the investor side of the table and help them deploy their capital into the community in ways that are aligned for their values. And all of our investors are impact oriented. They want to see their money go to places that are having a positive impact on the world. So a lot of our investors do invest in small businesses and individual projects. And then some investors choose to invest in funds that are managed by a team of people that are going to then deploy that capital for them. So every investor is a little different, but we help to get the capital into the streets, but not sitting on the business's side. We're sitting on the investor side of the deal. And when you talk about, just for clarification, getting the capital into the community or into the streets, is that capital making its way ultimately into small businesses as a funding source? Absolutely. We're investment advisors. So the first round of capital we're dealing with is debt or equity capital that investors are working with businesses to get it into their hands. But then after that, a lot of our investors, a, a large majority of them are redistributing their assets, and that would be no strings attached donation capital. And sometimes that does go to businesses and not strictly 501c3 nonprofits. So yeah, a lot of folks come to us with a goal of divesting off of Wall Street, which is the technical term for moving assets off of Wall Street and into Main Street with then a secondary goal of redistributing, which is the technical term for giving away your money. All right, now remember, this is our Ask the Expert show. So if you want to speak to Angela, if you've got a question, call us at 800-859-0957. That's 800-859-0957. We'll get you directly connected to the expert. You ask the questions, she'll give the answers, and we're happy to do it. We'll be back again in a moment on Startup Nation Radio. This is Jeff Sloan back on Startup Nation Radio. Armando Hayda from SCORE co-hosting today. We've got an Ask the Expert show, Armando, and great guest with us, Angela Barbash, CEO of Revalue Investing. 
And Armando, before we went to the break, you were going to ask Angela for an example, right, on how she deploys capital into the community on behalf of her clientele. Was that the question? That is the question. And so the question is, if she could give us an example of a project or an investment that she did that actually hit onto a small business and how that went. Yes, absolutely. So we have a family that has been with us for quite a while and we've helped them figure out how much they can deploy into community in a way that's not going to compromise their personal financial resiliency. And one of the deals that they went into was Pingree Detroit. And Pingree launched in 2015. They did an equity deal with Pingree. And Pingree is really supporting the local economy by using reclaimed leather to make high-quality handbags, accessories, and footwear. And that was just one example I could point to where capital made its way into Detroit that was not previously in Detroit. You know, we talk all the time about the lifeblood of startup companies being access to capital and to know there's another source out there that, frankly, I didn't even know about. I'm learning something on this show, which is great. Armando, thank you. And thank you, Angela. You know, it's great to have these various sources of capital available to business. And more than great, it's critical. It's fundamental to having a good startup ecosystem. So that's a cool story. All right. Now, we've got some callers. This is called the Ask the Expert Show, right, Armando? Let's get to some callers. Yeah, absolutely. We've got several callers lined up. Tom and Novi, how about you? Come on. Welcome to Startup Nation Radio. You've got a question for our guest, Angela. I do, Jeff. Thanks. I have a small business, and I've historically shied away from, I guess, what you would call traditional funding sources, like a, a bank loan or even borrowing from a family member. Like I get the upside. There's access to capital, operating capital, sleep at night money, but the downside's seem to always outweigh that. And I, I don't want to go into a bunch of debt. I don't want to bring on a, an ownership, a partner, you know, that's going to have some stake in, in the company I'm trying to build. So I'm curious how these alternative sources are that you're describing, how do they differ from like the traditional sources I'm used to? And what are the upsides? And maybe even what are the, the downsides if there are any? Yeah, thank you so much for that question. When you're talking about community investors who are most interested in impact and in the local entrepreneurial ecosystem, they tend to be more creative by their nature. They're more willing to have a conversation with you, not just about the financial capital that you need, but what else you need. And that's something that we don't often see in the banking or traditional lending relationships. It's not very common that you can walk into the bank and talk to the lender about how you need a strategic introduction to a key supplier. But that could be something that can happen with a relationship with a local investor or a handful of local investors. So I would encourage you to think more broadly about what that relationship could look like that benefits both you, the investor, and the company itself. And then the downsides, I think, to working with investors, you cited so perfectly that going into debt and having to pay that back has a burden on the P&L eventually. And if you went the equity route, then you're sharing ownership of the company with someone. But you can also put in some covenants to protect yourself in those deals so that you're not giving up control of your company just by taking on some equity investment. So I would just summarize all that to say that community investors, I think, are more likely to want to be creative with you and to help you get what you need because they wouldn't be doing this if it was really just about money. I think if they were just after money, they'd be in the public markets. All right. Excellent. Good question. Great answer. We're rolling. Hey, Armando, as a host of the show, the callers and our guests, they're making this easy and that's beautiful. (laughs) And and, and we've got a lineup of callers. Let's keep rolling here, Armando. We've got Lisa in South Lyon. Let's go. Go ahead, Lisa. 
Hi, I'm Lisa, and I've been listening to the program. And I'm, you know, I, I get that I can get community money, but I'm a little bit nervous about what are my responsibilities or what are my risks as an individual if I take money from the community and say something happens? What do I do? Absolutely. Great question. I would say that your first responsibility is to be honest. Let's say that you did take capital from community investors and you ran into some trouble with the business model. It didn't pan out the way you thought or whatever happens, because we all know in business things happen that are largely out of our control. Being open and communicative and honest with your investors and not misrepresenting what's happening, I think is the very first obligation that you have. And it's the same obligation that we as investors have to you as well, is to be honest with the with the relationship. So not having material misrepresentations, filing your paperwork with whatever agency you're registering your offering with, whether that's the state of Michigan or the SEC, depending on what type of raise you're doing, that's going to be your next major obligation is to make sure that you're checking all the boxes and keeping yourself on the right side of the regulatory system. And then after that, it's really about relationship management. And I'm sure if you're in business, Lisa, that you're already doing a great job at relationship management, especially if you have a successful business. And it's really working with your investors in the same way that you might work with your key suppliers or customers. All right, great, Angela, thank you. Lisa, thank you for that good question. Let's keep rolling. Sue from Pontiac, you've got a question for Angela. Hi, yes, I do. Thank you. My question is, you know, the pandemic has disrupted many traditional business models, and especially in the brick and mortar retail space. In what way do you believe alternative funding sources and or socially responsible investors can play a role in reviving or recreating local neighborhood uh, assets? Great question, Sue. And that certainly is top of mind what's happening in brick and mortar all over the country right now and all over the world, frankly. I would say that one of the benefits of working with community investors is that you are more likely to run into a patient timeline and a willingness to go back to the drawing board on the terms of the agreement. And so let's say that you are a florist and you have a brick and mortar shop and you took $50,000 in loans from community investors and you originally thought that you were gonna be able to pay them back in four years. And then COVID happens and now you need to pivot to an e-commerce strategy and really change how the business model is working. Well, that's a great opportunity to go back to those investors and either renegotiate the terms of that structured deal in the first place, or to even elicit their feedback on the challenges that you're seeing in the business and on brick and mortar front and get their creative ideas as well. So that four-year timeline might stretch out to six or seven years, and some investors might not be willing to do that, but some will. And so I think that that's the opportunity that you have when you're working with community impact investors is that at the end of the day, they want to see you succeed. And if it means that if they're going to get money back at the expense of your success, they're not likely going to want that money back in that way. So they ultimately just want to see you do well. Great question, Sue. Thank you. And Armando, let's do one more. It's amazing. When you talk about money, the phone lines light up. Let's try to get one more in before we run to a break. Joe from Detroit, okay. welcome welcome to Startup Nation Radio. Hey, thank you for taking my phone call. And uh, my question is, I've been working in, in a business that focused on real estate development, and I'm really pursuing urban farming in Detroit. Um, I've been doing some researching on impact investing and alternative funding, but I got to admit, I'm a little bit gun shy. I've never, you know, I'm just a small guy out there trying to make it happen. I've never made these high-level presentations. 
how are these people going to look at me both, both personally and, and as to my plan? What should I be prepared for? Great question. Angela. I think the first thing that you have got to lean into is just how incredibly uncomfortable it is. So there is a point at which you might really get very comfortable pitching to investors, but it might be after the 50th time you've done it. And so just accept first that it's going to be an awkward, uncomfortable thing to do in the first place. And know that a lot of those community investors are probably in similar boats because community investing was something that we did together as a community a hundred years ago. And then over the last three, four generations was really finance was removed from our day-to-day lives. And so we're all coming back to a place that we never even knew in the first place, but our forefathers and mothers did. So the investors are just as uncomfortable as you are. The second thing I would say is that they're going to be really looking to see who in their network knows you, who can vouch for you, how do you show up in the world. And so that might be how you show up on social media, how you show up in in terms of your volunteer service or your trajectory and experience in your industry. They're just going to be looking to establish some credibility about you and your team. And I really want to emphasize your team because investors are much more comfortable investing in a company or in a founder that has already identified those key players on the team versus a solopreneur that is right out of the gate with an idea but doesn't have the team yet. So if that's you and you don't have the team yet, just know that it's going to be a little bit more difficult. You're going to be looking for those higher risk investors, not to say that they don't exist, but that that you're going to be looking for a certain kind of community investor in that kind of situation. Angela, listen, that was amazing. The callers were incredible. Armando, we were hardly needed other than to steer it in, steer it out and introduce the guests. That's just the way it should be. It was beautiful. I would say, Armando, you scored for sure. Uh, No pun intended. It was a score. Angela, thank you. CEO of Revalue Invest. Armando, as always, thank you. Great show. And hats off to both you guys for coming on, helping us steer our community in the right direction. We appreciate you guys so much. Thank you so much. Well, we value our relationship with Startup Nation, and we're very pleased to bring our really good resources to your listeners. All right. Check them out. Uh, Listen, Armando, how do people reach score if they want to get even greater value in some one-on-one or even workshop activities with SCORE? Absolutely. Very easy. SCORE.org. S-C-O-R-E.org. There we go. All the information that you could possibly want is right there. All right, guys. Thanks again so much. We're going to run to a break. Really appreciate it. Back with more on Startup Nation Radio in a minute. All right, welcome back to Startup Nation Radio, now focused on a really important form of funding for startup companies and for young companies on their early stages of growth. We're going to talk about angel funding. To me, the most important source of funding for startup companies out there. Certainly, you know, bank loans are important, certainly for growth capital. Venture capital is always important. You have to have the right type of capital at every stage along the way based on the capital needs and the stage of evolution of the company and match those things up right along the way. Well, again, right now we're focused on angel funding. And we've got Marsha Dawood. She's the chair of the Angel Capital Association uh, of the board of the Angel Capital Association. Marsha, welcome to Startup Nation Radio. Thank you, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Yeah, great to have you on. You are not only an angel investor yourself, but you're, you're very involved in the Angel Capital Association. First, tell us a little bit about you. How did you, you know, what have you done to put yourself in position, in the privileged position of now being an angel investor? 
Yes, I would definitely say the privileged position. I'm super happy to be an angel investor because basically what I do is I make people's dreams come true. It's so true. It's amazing. It's not an investment. You're making people's dreams come true. It's so true. I'm so glad you said that. Go ahead, Marcia. It is. And it's a great line for a cocktail party. It is. Oh, my Um, God. (laughs) That's a good thought. Yes, that will get people's attention. Exactly. Well, I'll tell you, it was about 10 years ago, and somebody said, hey, I want to invite you to this angel investing meeting. And I said, what's angel investing? I didn't even know what it was. And I had been working in corporate America, and I really couldn't even see the forest through the trees anymore. I'd worked for the same company for a really long time. And I went to the meeting, and I thought, wow, look at all this innovation and all these neat things that are happening in the world, and I don't even know about it. I'm kind of sitting in my little world, my little bubble. And I thought, wow, if I want to see some of these things come to life and see some of the change that I want to have in the world, I need to get involved in this. Mm -hmm. And back then, it was pretty traditional that you would invest just in one company. You know, an angel group would get together, they kind of pool their capital, and you'd invest that into a company. And, And that's great. And that still happens today. And that's awesome. But nowadays, there's so many more ways that you can get involved and funds have become a thing where people raise some capital and then the fund will decide how to invest the capital. So that's another way, great way for angels to put their money to work and get diversification. You are an accredited investor, right? Correct. And so you've obviously had success in your life. You have the means and the ability. I mean, what does it take for someone out there who might be listening, who might want to be an angel investor? It is cool. Not only do you get to see the stuff on the leading edge and in, in technology and science and business, but you get to help shape it. You know, your, your dollars go toward, as you say, making dreams come true, but also beyond the dreams of an entrepreneur, a founder of a company. These companies bring important technologies, important business, whether it simply be for entertainment or whether it be for lifestyle or whether it be for something more critical, like, you know, healthcare. How did you get in position to be able to be an angel investor? And what does it take for someone to be an angel investor? And what's like an average investment size? So in order to make an investment as an accredited angel, as you mentioned, you do have to have a certain level of income or wealth. It's $200,000 of income annually, 300 with your spouse or a million dollars in net worth minus your home. Okay. Now, that is what will give you the ability, according to the SEC guidelines, to actually make a private investment, which this uh, any angel investment is a private investment as opposed to what's out there on the public markets. Now, a couple of years ago, the SEC passed some laws so that crowdfunding would be allowed, and that is allowed at any level, and anybody who is accredited or not accredited can participate In some cases, you could participate for as little as $100. And there's different platforms out there like Republic where you can go on and you can find deals and you can see what's out there. And uh, it really is truly crowdfunding because a lot of people would come together with their smaller checks and invest. Now, a traditional angel deal, usually an individual angel would write a check anywhere from at the very low end, maybe five or $10,000. And then there are some people out there called super angels that might write checks for a hundred thousand or $250,000. Okay. So that's great. That gives us a kind of a broad view at, at a high level of what it takes to get into angel investing and to participate and so on. That's really good. And for you, what drives you? Is it more of a financial orientation and, and disposition with respect to do I invest or don't I? Or are you really looking to, at least in part, also support things you feel are important as an investor? If you are in angel investing strictly for a financial return, that is not the right reason to be involved. Mm -hmm. There are definitely great returns to be had out there, but it is patient capital. It takes a long time, years 
Patient and risky. Yep. Patient and risky. Yep. I made two investments at the very beginning when, you know, back in 2012 when I first started to do this. And the one I wrote off pretty quickly, had to just take that as a complete write off. The other one did exit and it was a 3x return on my money. I had invested about $20,000 and I got about $60,000 back, but it took eight and a half years. So, mm. you know, it does take some time. Let me just ask this question. Along the way, even though it took time to get that 60 back on $20,000 investment, there's a term that I use. I don't know if this is a term of the art or a term that you guys use at the association, but there's some psychic income you're getting along the way too. So there's kind of that return on investment in knowing that you're involved in something that means something to you, helping an individual's dreams come true and very important, very meaningful, but also bringing an important technology or business to life and your contribution to doing that. Did you get a chance to get drawn in and, and contribute and provide strategic guidance or tactical guidance or serve on an advisory board or a governing board? Or, you know, was there activity beyond pure dollar investment that you made into the company? And was there therefore return, uh, that kind of psychic return that comes with that level of both investment and return as well? Yes. One of the things that angels bring is a lot of mentorship and expertise and they bring their network. So in a lot of cases, these early companies, they need customers. They need more than just money. They need advice. They need mentorship. They need some doors to be open for them. And the best way to do that is to get angels involved who have more of a, uh, a, a broader network that they can access. And also, back in 2014, a little bit after I started to learn about what angel investing was, I realized how little capital goes to women. And I started to get involved with different groups that they only invested in women-led companies. And through that, I started to meet a lot of different people and get to be involved in a lot of different types of companies that were really trying to make change out in the world, especially when it comes to things like women's health. And that's what I'm talking about, psychic income. There you just mentioned, you know, that kind of that such gratification that comes with an investment into an important company, and a company that you believe is important and meritorious and has a place in this world. And that's really beautiful. Now, listen, we're going to run to a break. When we come back on Startup Nation Radio, Marsha, we'd love to ask you to give us a couple of maybe examples of how angel capital has gone to work for companies. They've made investments, they've gone into the company, funds have been used. And the outcomes have been really exciting. I'm sure you've had purview into lots of examples at the Angel Capital Association. We'd love to hear about some of those transactions if you can share it with us. Sounds great. All right. Right after this break, back with Marsha Dawood from the Angel Capital Association today talking about the importance of angel financing right after this break on Startup Nation Radio. All right. Back on Startup Nation Radio really important subject matter. We all care about, you know, whenever the subject of funding comes up for companies, we seem to get people's attentions. And for good reason, funding's the lifeblood. You can have a great idea. You can have a good team. The company can be of merit. Should happen. Doesn't necessarily mean it will. One of the things you must do if you're going to have a startup company and you're going to launch a, a new venture and have it grow and be successful and make an impact in the world, both personally and beyond, you got to have funding. And really, to me, the best form of funding of all for a startup company, a pure startup company, is angel-type funding. That is investment by wealthy individuals into these startup companies in exchange for equity. Right, Marsha? That's the way it works. We have that right. That is absolutely how it works. It's an equity transaction. Tell us, I mean, is there beyond equity, you know, what controls, what are some of the typical terms of investment like this? What does an entrepreneur or founder need to be aware of? 
What does an angel need to be aware of when making investments like this at a very high level? I know we could go on and on into detail, but at a high level, tell us. Well, the first piece of advice I would give is don't seek out funding until you really need it. I've seen entrepreneurs where they really go after funding thinking, well, I have to go get funding because that's just the next that's thing. That's what we do. do, right? Yeah, that's what we do. Make sure you got some customers, you have a proof of concept, you've got people who really want to buy your product. But when it comes to getting the funding, you are making an exchange for equity in your business. And this is the most important thing that an entrepreneur needs to think about. They don't need to think about just what kind of equity trade they're going to make right now. They need to think about what kind of an equity trade are they going to have to keep making throughout the life cycle of their business in order to get to their end goal. Right. Because too often I have seen where entrepreneurs give up too much equity at the beginning and then by the time they get to a point where they're like, wow, my company's taken off and I've got some growth going. And the next thing you know, they are running out of their own equity to be able to take in more funding and they're getting diluted down and diluted down. And now it gets to a point where the uh, investors and the entrepreneur, they're thinking, well, what does the entrepreneur have in, in it left? You know, why do they care? Why are they going to keep doing this? That is such an unfortunate, but yet even more unfortunately common occurrence yes. with, with founders. You're absolutely right. So these companies, startup companies, are funded in rounds. It's not all coming in all at once. So if the company over its lifetime, we determine based on our business plan, we need $30 million to launch this company. You don't raise the $30 million all on day one. And in fact, you couldn't in most cases because you don't have enough equity to give away to substantiate a $30 million investment. So what you do is you throw in 500000 in a seed fund investment, and that's in a first round at a lower valuation, and say that gets 25% of the company. And then what you do is you do another round, a follow-on round, when the company has met certain metrics that accelerate or increase the valuation of the company. Then you do another round, and maybe you raise you know, $2 million in that round, and that round is in exchange for you know 10% of the company. And then you do it again, and it's 5% of the company, and you're getting more money, but you're increasing the valuation, but yet you're giving up more and more and more as you go. Now, you need the money. You better make sure you need the money. Don't take money you don't need to take. But if you need the money in order to make the company go, you're going to have to give up equity to do it. And that's such great advice, Marsha, to be very careful, because you don't want to be a founder at the other end of it. Have everyone else making a piece of the upside and you having a glorified job with a little bonus at the other end of it. That's exactly right. I know. I've seen that. Frankly, I've experienced that myself early in my career. We had some very exciting companies that had very successful exits. The angels who came in made multiples 10 times on their money. We were excited about that, and that helped further fuel our career as venture developers. And our angel network of 80 or so people is now continues to increase with some of the biggest names in the country involved. But yet we have found ourselves early on being at the other end of exactly what you described. All right. Now let's talk about some success stories when it works and it works right. And the founder gets their piece of the deal as well as the angel investors. Give us some examples of angel funding going into companies and give us uh, you know, a description of the outcome. Sure. So I'll give you two kind of extremes. One, when I say extremes, just uh, where they are in their life cycle right now. So one company was an Alzheimer's drug. So a lot of people wanted to get behind this. Obviously, this is a very big problem, and there really is very, very little good solutions out there. And I think the majority of the fundraising was going on between like 2013 and, and 2017, 2018. But they managed to get tens of millions of dollars from angels 
without having to go to any bigger VC or, or bigger groups in order to get funding. And along the way, they were also, you know, as they were establishing, because this angel money was allowing them to establish that they had some level of efficacy of this drug, they attracted some of the bigger grants and they managed to get a very, very large grant then in about 2019. And the big news there is they just filed an S1 for an IPO about two months ago. Beautiful. Nice story. Nice story. Really nice story. You have one more for us? I do. And this is a little untraditional, but a bakery in the middle of Palo Alto, California, makes all gluten-free, grain-free, the most delicious baked goods ever. No preservatives. You have to like eat it like you stole it because it's really Mm -hmm. fresh. They ship nationwide. They were about to go out of business, and some angels who were customers found out that they were struggling and stepped in and basically saved the company, and now they're doing great. So I'll bet those angels who stepped in, obviously, fundamentally stepped in with capital, but I'll bet it was the smarts and contacts and guidance and advice those angels brought that were instrumental in that turnaround story. That's exactly right. And that's the really cool thing. Listen, if you are an entrepreneur out there, if you've got an idea for a company, if you get the basics on how to source capital over rounds of financing of that company, making sure you meet certain metrics that substantiate a growth in value, and you you tee that all up the right way, sourcing angel funding not only brings the much-needed capital you need, but the most important thing, and that's why they're called angels. The most important thing I find that angels bring is just what we just talked about. It's the contacts, the smarts, the support, the patience. It's really a beautiful thing. And also those, you got this, it's okay. You yes. know, the, the pep talks yes. that, the, that the entrepreneurs need because entrepreneurship is hard. Oh it's my God. so hard. Yeah. And it's a roller coaster ride and you have to be able to sustain it. And, and sometimes you just need those people who are like, you're doing a good job. It's okay. That Keep going. That is so true. And the thing about it is an angel can speak with experience. You know, I've been there. I've been yeah. there, right? I mean, yeah. you, you, we've all been through this. We've been there. We've been through, through the you know, shortage in cash and stress and employee issues and, and the technology is not working. And oh my God, you know, the market, the market test didn't go the way we thought it would. And what do I do? All those kinds of things. Well, listen, Marsha, just real quickly to round out and to close on our conversation. Angel funding, we've kind of teed up now in our conversation, our brief time we've had today, how you become an angel, why you become an angel, what's in it for you as an angel if you want to invest in companies. We've also demonstrated and made clear the importance of angel funding to companies and mentioned a few success stories and how it all works. But to the broader economy, the kind of the national picture, angel funding is critical, right? There would be no even opportunity for many venture capital funds to invest their growth capital if angels hadn't been there first taking the bigger risk and getting these companies started. Tell us about kind of the big picture in a couple minutes that we have left. Yeah, you're absolutely right. We wouldn't have companies like Home Depot, even Facebook, Google. You know, people always talk about, oh, they're such big companies. They literally did get started in a garage where if they hadn't gotten some early capital, they wouldn't have ever gotten off the ground. 
And in a lot of cases, entrepreneurs are out there and they're thinking to themselves, what am I going to do? How am I going to get this funding? But you know what? Sometimes there's this saying out there, if you haven't heard it already, and it's, if you're going to ask for money, you're probably going to get advice. And if you're going to ask for advice, you're probably going to get money. And in a lot of cases, entrepreneurs really have to build up some relationships and get to know some people. People aren't necessarily just going to write a check just for the sake of writing a check. It really does come with a relationship. And it is like a marriage. It's a long time that you have to build these companies and get them to grow. And angels want to be a part of that and they want to help. And they're going to help, but there needs to be a little bit of a courtship at the beginning. Yeah. So I encourage entrepreneurs, start to look for angels before you need the money. Mm. Start to go and ask for advice and build relationships. And then when it comes time for you to go and ask for funding, it, it just becomes that much easier. So if there's entrepreneurs that are looking for angels, they want to try to connect with angels, go to the angelcapitalassociation.org website. The other thing you can do is just go to Google and be like, angel investors in my city. And you will come up with some groups and some places that you can kind of get started. Great advice. Marsha, thank you so much for being on. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All right. Right on. Back again next week with another Startup Nation radio show. Tune in. And in between now and then, get out there and start it up. The preceding program was furnished by Startup Nation Media Group.